you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Two quick comments before we jump in here. I have to say, it is, I've been served well by Rusty, our pastor, over the past month. I pray you have as well. Um, it is uh, a joy for me to be able to sit with you and to sit underneath with you the preaching of God's Word. Um, to hear it clearly and to hear it applied to us with specificity, even though sometimes that hurts. Uh, and to be challenged and encouraged and all those things. And so I am thankful to God first and thankful to Rusty second for that. And I hope you are as well. Amen. Second of all, I hope the roast is not on at home. As I have been joking with everyone, I've not preached for a month. Uh, with the birth of Henry and, and then the holidays, the way it kind of fell was... Uh, I did not preach for a month, Rusty. That's the longest I've gone without preaching in um, six years, uh, to, to give you an idea there. So I have lots of excited energy stored up uh, for this. And uh, Hebrews has been, has been awesome, um, but I agree with Rusty. It's good to be back in Ephesians. It's where we've been now for, I don't know, what, 28 sermons, something like that. Someone keeping count? 30? 30. There you go. Someone's keeping count. Uh, 30 sermons we've been in Ephesians, and we're just in chapter 3. So we probably have at least 30 more left. Uh, But we are going to be in chapter 3 today. And we're going to pick up in verse 14 and 15. But what I want to do for us real quick is just to go ahead, refresh our memories, and begin in chapter 3, verse 1. We'll read all the way through chapter 3, and we'll settle back in simply verses 14 and 15 for today. So let's do this. Chapter 3, verse 1. Just for the record, I thought about reading all of Ephesians to catch us up and then realized I probably don't have time for that. So today, go back, reread the beginning two chapters of Ephesians. Here we go. I'm going to read rather quickly. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We must pause there, at least for a second partakers of the promise of in Christ through the gospel. Paul goes on, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers 
and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. (coughs) For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He might grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer. Now to Him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may that be our prayer today. May that be my prayer today, that your people, that your people, that I, as one of your people, would know the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Father, we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. Back to verse 14, let me read this for you real quick. So we kind of set this up and get back into Ephesians here. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, as we jump into this, I want to, I'm just going to give you this real quick. You can go study this later. But for this reason, Paul, I don't think, is referring to verse 13. Or 12 or 11. I think he's referring back to chapter 2. If you notice in the beginning of chapter 3, he says, For this reason I, Paul. And then he kind of goes on a tangent for a second. And then I think Paul comes back and picks back up on that thought. So if you go back to chapter, the beginning of chapter 3, he says, For this reason I, Paul. What is this reason at the beginning of chapter 3? Well, it says at the end of chapter 2, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on a foundation, the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So that's, then he says, for this reason. And he talks about this mystery being revealed. And then he picks back up on that, chapter 2, for the reason that I just said at the end of chapter 2, I bow my knees before the Father. And that's where we pick up here in chapter 3, verse 14. So with that, let me give some introductory remarks as we think about this chapter. You know, as we look back over these past year, I mean, this is the kind of the time of year, right, that we kind of spend some time reflecting. We spend some time looking back going, what was good over the past year 
And if we're wise, we look back and we go, what was not so good? What did not go so well? Whether it was things that I did or things that other people did or just things that were out of my control. But what was good? What was bad? But then also what we do at this time of year is we tend to look forward. We look to things that we are hopeful for in the next year. You know, in a couple weeks, um, I, I did this last year, and I'm going to do this again this year. I, I'm going to take a two-day kind of private retreat uh, and just get away and pray, study the Scriptures, reflect on the past year, ask God for a vision for my family and church for the next year. Um, and Lord willing, we'll do the same thing. Sarah, a week or two after that, will take a day or two to get away and just, of course, she'll have to take Henry with her, but her and Henry will, will go away. That's my five-week-old. Um, they will get away and, and think through what, what has happened this past year, what's going to happen this next year, what are we hopeful for? <clears throat> and you know, as I sat in my office studying this passage now about a week and a half ago, and it was, it was awesome to even this morning to be refreshed in this way, I as I was thinking through this passage and studying and reflecting on these things about the past in 2016, and I discovered that, by God's grace, my greatest desire is to walk with God more closely. I want to walk with Him more closely. I want to hear His voice and the Scriptures more clearly this year. I want to speak to Him more honorably this year. I want to reflect His glory more brilliantly this year, and, and I want to love Him more exclusively this year. And you know, as I was studying this passage and thinking upon these things myself, in God's wisdom, I think He helped kind of connect a couple things in my mind that have not been as strongly connected before. And that was this. Instruction plus prayer equals obedience. And what does obedience bring? It brings intimacy with God. Walking with God. But the thing in my mind that I think is more strongly connected today, and as I was studying this passage, was the instruction plus prayer. Instruction plus plus prayer. It's a both and. I want to make some observations for just a moment. There's two categories that I see even in our church here. Let me, and I want you to think about which category you fit into. The first one is this. Those who love to talk to God, so they love to pray, but because they don't instruct their heart and minds with the Bible, there's things that don't go so well. Give you give a couple examples. They don't know when it's God's voice versus their evil desires. I mean, sometimes in prayer we can perceive God telling us something when it's maybe just an upset stomach or the fluttering of a heightened sh- uh, sugar, you know, level that just happened to feel really good this moment. Maybe it's not God speaking to you. I give you an extreme example. God's calling me to divorce my wife. Not me. It's an extreme example, right? Well, what do you mean? How do you know that? I, mean, I hear that all the time. I know it's an extreme example. 
But God's spoken clearly on those kinds of things. And so we can pray, but we can, we can actually not be hearing from God. We can actually, psychologically, mentally, we can create what we think is God's voice speaking to us. And some of that's natural because we long for Him to speak to us. That's a good longing. What we fail to realize is that, uh, as I was talking to someone who's reading Keller's book, too, we have two people reading Keller's book on prayer, that, one of the, that the way God has spoken most clearly to us is through His Son, Jesus. <clears throat> then also, the second category, be those who love instruction, love hearing the Word and studying the Word, but don't pray. We don't talk to God. And we're going to flesh some of that out today, particularly category number two. I mean, this is the category I fall into. I, I love instruction. I love studying the Scriptures. But I don't pray enough. I don't pray enough. And I think, for many of us, the lack of praying, even though we like instruction, is fueled by the idea that we like to accomplish the instruction on our own. And the act of praying is an act of submitting and asking for help. It's a recognition that you are God, I am not, and I need you for this instruction. So I think for many of us, I know for myself, I love instruction, I don't pray. Why? Because I think I can do the instruction on my own. And I think many of us fall into this camp as well. But I wanted to address the first category as we think through these couple verses today. Because there's some of us, again, in here that think we pray all the time, and maybe we do. But if that's not balanced with instruction, then there's a lot of danger there too. On both sides. So, but as we move into 2016, I want to challenge you, ultimately, this is my goal today, is I want to challenge you in your prayer life. I want to challenge you to pray, to be people who pray, to be people who call upon the Lord in prayer, desperately longing for His hand to move and to work in your heart, your family's heart, our church's heart, our world, our community. All the things that we want to see God renovate, see Him change. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we pray? How do we actually get to praying? As I was preaching, at least somewhat, to my wife about this passage, uh, talking about what I was excited about teaching on, she goes, she asked me this question. She goes, like, have people been taught how to pray? I mean, that's a real good, simple, practical question. And I think many of us, when we think about prayer, like, this is the instruction that we were given. Just talk to God like He's your friend, right? Just go talk to God like He's your friend. And that's the extent of it. There's a lot more to prayer than just talking to God like He's your friend. He is your friend if you're covered in the blood of Jesus. He is your friend. If not, if you're not covered in the blood of Jesus, He's your enemy. But to you, if you are covered in the blood of Jesus, He is your friend. But there is much more to talking to God than 
like, listen, like literally, if, if some of you talk to God like you talk to your friends, that would be terrible. I mean, I know some of the conversations I have with friends, and if I talk that way to God, like, he would have every right to just, boom, right? Just explode me on the spot. Lightning bolt from heaven. Kaboom. So today, I want to help us understand at least some parts how we pray from this passage. So with that said, let me catch us up a little bit. So far in Ephesians, Paul has been instructing these people, this is important for understanding what's going on in verse 14, with wonderful convictions. He's been instructing with wonderful convictions. Let me give you a few of these. That the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So to the faithful saints in Ephesus, to the faithful saints in Renovation Church, that God has blessed us, that God the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That's a wonderful conviction. I'm glad he instructed us on such a conviction. He also instructed us on we were spiritually dead and hopeless. We also studied how God has chosen his children before the beginning of the world. And then he chose his children unto adoption and unto an inheritance. We also learned that, he was, that we have been sealed in the Holy Spirit upon our hearing and believing the gospel. <clears throat> then we get to the end of chapter 2. And Paul starts talking about these people who are no longer divided, but one in Christ. There's no longer Jew and Gentile, but now we're together. These are wonderful instructions. And as this new group of people in Christ, we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What a marvelous thought. I don't even think we begin to understand what that means. I mean, I think to begin to understand what that means, you you need to go to Revelation. We don't have time today. But go to Revelation. You'll begin to see what I think he means by this dwelling place for God. And then he gets to the end of chapter 2. And like I read already, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, and built, and in verse 22, in Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is what Paul is referring to when he says, now in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. He says, I bow my knees in prayer for this reason. Paul's reason, right? We want to start getting at prayer. Why is Paul praying? What's the reason for Paul praying? It's wrapped up in God's gospel-empowered, unifying work. It's what God is doing through the gospel to unify these people, to build them into his dwelling place. This gives Paul reason to pray. Paul's reason for praying is the fact that God took helpless people, saved them by the blood of Christ, made them into one household, and is building them together as a holy dwelling place for God. This is reason to pray. This is reason to bow his knees. And I would encourage you, Christian, this is reason for you to pray every single day. Every time you you go to pray, remember that you were helpless and that He rescued you and saved you by the blood of Christ and is building you together with others as a holy dwelling place for God. 
This is reason to pray. I mean, listen, if that does not humble you, if what he says at the end of chapter 2 does not humble you, then I just don't know what will. He took you helpless, me helpless, and brought us together. So God's truth that Paul is instructing the Ephesians, the truth that he is teaching them, results in worship-filled praying by Paul. So there's a, there's a natural, there's a flow that's happening. There's an instruction, and, a, and, and you even see some prayerfulness and worshipfulness in Paul as he's instructing, and, and then he works into this beautiful prayer right in the middle, and he's going to go on to instruct more. Do you see something wonderful happening here? Paul's heart responds to this truth in bended knee. And that's the thing we need to keep in mind here. Truth, instruction, bended knee. But Paul responds in bended knee. And I think we have much to learn from Paul concerning prayer. So with that, I'm going to commend to you four observations about prayer for 2016. Four observations from this passage about prayer for 2016. For you this year to think through. The first one is this. Don't wait to pray till you feel like there is nothing more you can do. Don't wait to pray till you feel like there is nothing more you can do. If I'm being honest with you, this is this tends to be me. If I just can confess some sin, I tend to wait to pray until I feel like I am helpless. You know, I went to that counseling conference at Virginia Beach this past year, and one of the biggest things I walked away with was, Matt, you are helpless. You are needy, and you need God. It's one of the greatest things of my journey for 2015, one of the most wonderful things that happened to me this past year. So here's the setting. <clears throat> Paul was a prisoner. He was arrested by those opposed to Christianity, right? You see, Paul understood, though, this. That you could be thrown into jail. His doors could be bolted. The windows could be barred shut. And he could be chained to a soldier, but nothing could ever obstruct the path between a humble heart and the heart of eternal God. No matter what, nothing could obstruct that path. Martin Lloyd-Jones says those words from this passage. You see, we live in a culture, though, where we think everything is dependent on us. This goes all the way back to the garden. We can be self-sufficient apart from God. We can do this on our own. We cry, do more, do more. And what we mean by this is I or we must do these things. That it all depends on us. Whether that's in my family, in my workplace, in my church, seeing people saved, whatever. Many of us grew up even in a church culture where if you didn't do it, then it wasn't going to get done. Anybody grow up in a church like that? If I didn't do it, it wasn't going to get done. If you didn't serve in the nursery, then there wasn't going to be anyone to serve in the nursery. Right? Anybody have that experience? 
I know someone who served in a nursery in multiple services at the same, at this church for like a year. Never was in service because they didn't have enough people to be in the nursery. I can tell you that, as a side note, that would never happen here. We just wouldn't have a nursery. You'd have to watch your own kids. Uh, So we wouldn't do that. Like, that's just crazy. Particularly in this situation, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. I told this person, I said, look, pretty much every member in renovation has to serve in the nursery. It's kind of a requirement to be a member (laughs) because we just have so many kids and it's the way it is, right? (laughs) But if you didn't serve, if you didn't pray that prayer of salvation or walk that aisle, then my salvation wasn't going to get done. Maybe we hit a little closer to home with that one. You know, God is kind of this idea that God is anxiously sitting back, hoping that His people would get these things done. Now, what has been happening in this passage, Paul has been instructing us to quite the contrary. What he's been instructing us on is that if God doesn't do it, then it doesn't get done. That's been Paul's instruction in chapters 1, 2, and the beginning of 3. Quite the contrary to what our mindset is, and that if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. We forget most fundamentally that unless God does, we do in vain. And it's not going to happen even. And that we can do nothing apart from God. Paul understands these. That's why he's saying, you were dead. You once walked in this way, but you were dead. But God, he's saying, you could do nothing, but God can do everything. But with our flesh, though, we still tend to think very highly of our own ability. Of our own ability to do things. And I'm afraid that, if you want a sub-point here, our prayer lives indict our heightened view of our own ability. Like our prayer lives are an indictment on our heightened views of our own ability. I mean, just, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but it represents how much we think we can accomplish apart from God. If we never call upon the Lord to act, then we must think that our acting and doing will be sufficient. I, I'm, I'm telling I'm preaching to myself. Like, I don't know if anyone else is in this room, but these are words I need to hear. Paul says in his letters that he does not cease in praying for the churches daily and constantly. You can read these in his other letters. I wonder, I wonder, as I thought about this, I wonder how much of the church today is still surviving off the prayers of the saints before us because so little new prayers are being prayed. When you think about this, this is Paul. We must go to Paul, the master teacher under Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. in the New Testament, Paul writes the second most of all the authors in the New Testament. Instructing is his thing. Teaching the people of God is his thing. He's known for that. He's awesome at it. I mean, even Peter, right, says, I have a hard time understanding Paul. Like, he's like, he's pretty tough, man, you know. Like, 
And he teaches such deep truths, as we've seen 30 weeks in just, and I mean, Lord have mercy, we could have done 100 and only still be in chapter 3. Uh, this is such wonderful truth. I mean, obviously all that's from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by God and Him breathing out through Paul. I, I get all that. But listen, my point is this. Paul, though, in the midst of that, recognizes that this all depends on God. All of it. He goes on in verse 17 of this chapter 3. I'm sorry, verse 16. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. What's He mean to comprehend? He says this breadth, length, and height, and depth. What is this? To know God. That you, He prays that they would be able to comprehend the revelation of God to them. And see in that His love for His people. So Paul is instructing, instructing, instructing. I pray that God would open your minds to comprehend what I'm speaking. Paul could have just kept writing. There's just more instruction I need to give them. There's more things I need to say. There's more truths and convictions I need to help them see. And what's Paul do? He stops and he prays (laughs) right here. He prays. You know, the real danger is this. Is that we might actually never talk to God. I want to be a little philosophical here for just a few moments. If you wait to pray till that's all you can do, I think quite possibly you may end up not actually praying at all. Your praying is just simply more of you doing, and it's the last thing you got. Just follow me for just a second. We're just going to be here for just a brief second. Just because, here's the deal, just because what it looks and sounds like, just because it looks and sounds like prayer doesn't mean it actually is. Just because you say the right words, and you begin and end with the right words, and you begin with God in heaven, and you end with, in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, doesn't mean that everything that you just got done saying was praying, was actually talking to God. If we wait to pray, until it's all we can do, I think oftentimes it's easy for us to, to simply miss the point. The point is not just for us to utter a prayer so that we can get what we were trying to do done. That's not the ultimate point, though point of prayer is us communing with God and and talking to the Father and seeking and submitting to Him, our King. It's not another tool for us to use to accomplish what we want to get done. In that way, it's just a way in which we're trying to manipulate God. 
Here, let me say this last thought I'll say on this. Many of us keep our hands doing, 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 trying to fix, trying to fix, trying to do this, trying to make this happen, trying to make the world look this certain way. And, and we're all doing this, all of this on our own strength. And when none of that works, we just simply just take our hands that have been doing, doing, doing. Now we just turn our hands to praying. And we're just going to say these words and seek these, say these scriptures. And we're just going to try, try to accomplish just when all, all the while, what I'm proposing to you is that maybe what you're just still doing is just you're doing you're not using prayer as a means to say, God, I, I am helpless and I need you. What is your plan? I think Paul is certainly in the power of the Spirit. He's doing, he's instructing, he's instructing, he's teaching. But there's this sense in Paul's writings that you know, when you walk away from Paul's writings, that. His praying is not just him trying to manipulate God to get him to accomplish what he's been trying to do in the first two chapters. Paul understands that I can do nothing. That these words, these aren't even my words. This doing isn't even my doing. It's God's doing. And I need God, by His grace, to do this. I just want to encourage us to be careful that we don't turn to prayer as just a manipulative tool to accomplish our agenda. Paul's not doing that here. Paul's using prayer as a means to accomplish God's agenda. Now, this last thought I'll say on this. We have to be careful when we come to prayer that we don't come to prayer in authority over prayer. What I mean by that is we come to prayer, if we come into prayer wanting to use prayers to simply accomplish our agenda, then we're coming to it in authority. Some of us do the scriptures that way too. We want to feel a certain way, or we want the days to go a certain way, and, or we want certain things to be accomplished, and so we'll, we'll take the scriptures, and we'll pull verses, and we'll try and say them and use them in such a way to accomplish what we want to accomplish. And, and I think the danger of that is that's placing us in authority over these things when we're supposed to be in submission to these things. We come, to, think about Jesus in the garden. Father, please, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours, right? So there's this prayer, communing with God, where he's letting his request be made known to God, but he is not doing this in such a way of an authority. He's doing this in a submissive way, going, Father, not mine, but yours, so I just want to be clear. We can pray and ask God for all sorts of things. But the question is, is, do we just simply at the end of the day want God to get done what we want to get done? Or is there a posture of submitting to His will? Well, more on that in a few minutes. But I want us to be careful. If we wait to pray until it's all we can do, are we throwing our hands up going, God, I'm sorry, I can't accomplish this without you? Or are our hands still moving, trying to get done what we need to get done? Let's move on from that thought. Next kind of thought I, I want to encourage you with is that this, I think we would understand the depths of talking to God. What's going on with Paul here? For this reason, I bow my knees. I think that many of us, myself included, don't understand the depths of what this means because we are too infatuated with talking to ourselves instead of talking to God. 
We are the king of our dominion. So goes our thoughts. We are the all-wise ones. We are the ones supreme over our lives and in control. And we are the ones who speak and the oceans move. Our potential is that we are so infatuated with talking to ourselves that we don't understand. I mean, Paul here, I bow my knees in prayer to the Father. And Paul could have written more and more instruction. He could have been doing more things to help the Ephesians, but he knew that it didn't depend on him ultimately. It depended on God, and so Paul prayed. So, kind of the first few thoughts are, why don't we pray? But I don't want to get to, back to the setting here. Paul's in prison. He is chained. He, he physically can't go do other than his writings and such. And so, I, I do want to say this. I, we, I can't disregard this. I am sure that there are times in many of us in our lives where we do feel like we're in prison. Like we're in a prison. Like our hands are tied. Maybe it's an illness. Physical, mental. Maybe it's sin. The results of sin. Or maybe it's just the thorn in the flesh like what Paul had. Isn't necessarily tied to sin. Just a, you know, I was talking to someone yesterday about how Sarah and I's life has changed over the past month as we've welcomed our fourth son into our chaos. Uh, and I told Sarah the other day, I said our organized chaos. She goes, ah, "There's not much organization not yet." And I say, "Yeah, that's probably true." Uh, and I was just thinking about how like. Our, our life has changed a lot. Four kids, five and under, you know, all boys, rowdies can be. And that's probably my fault because uh, I like to fight and wrestle and all those good things. But, like, sometimes it feels like a prison. Like, sometimes it feels like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And that, 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 that's Okay. The question is now, where does my eyes turn to? To my doing, doing, doing? Or does it turn to, God, I need you, and thank you. You've given me my life circumstances here to teach me that I need you. And so sometimes life can feel like a prison, whether it's because we've sinned and done something wrong, or it's just because that's the cards that God has given us to play. Whatever circumstances or condition we may find ourselves, prayer is always there. That cannot be taken away. It doesn't matter how tight the chains are. It doesn't matter how thin the air is. It doesn't matter how secure the door is and the bars and how tight it is. It doesn't matter. Nothing can stop us from communing with God and praying. I encourage you, just, just don't wait 
till you get to that point, and there's nothing else you can do to pray. Now, certainly, at that point, don't just keep doing. Like, realize you've just been doing, and stop. Throw your hands up, God, I'm sorry. I'm, help me, help me, help me. I'm just encouraging you, just don't wait till you get to that point. Give up your hands now and pray. So here's my question. How much time do you spend in prayer? Right? It's a logical question. You know, and, and I don't even mean to go after the quantity. I, even the quality aspect of it. You spend in earnest prayer. Hear of guys like George Mueller. You know, he's an orphanage owner. And, and, so, and just talk about how he had to, like, pray for an hour just to be ready to pray. I mean, I don't even know how that works. I don't understand to pace around his courtyards for hours and hours so that he, he would just talk to God. If I, if I remember correctly from, from reading that, he, I don't, if, if rarely ever, if at all, asked for anything for the orphan, he just prayed, and things came. Like, that, right? I mean, we talk about us having to go do, 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 and we've got to sell this, and we've got to make this happen, we've got to make this happen, and, and He's got thousands of kids or hundreds of kids, however many it was, that, that needed things to sustain life. And what does George Mueller do to bring those about? He prays. Wow. He prays. So how much time, how much earnestness do we spend in prayer? You see, we have plenty of time to do that which is not at all essential or maybe even at all profitable. We have plenty of time to do those things. Sports games, TV, internet research, social media. I mean, those things are certainly not essential and maybe not even profitable, and yet we make time for those things. We are called as a church to bear one another's burdens, and Paul here says that we can do that by praying. I want to encourage you with this. Don't shoot for a checklist mentality in your praying, but also don't shy away from structure in your praying. Right? So be careful that you're not doing it just for the list, but be careful that you're not avoiding the list just to have your own law of, I just want to do it organically and free flow, and then you'll never end up praying. Like, like you see what I'm saying? Some of us are wired for lists. Some of us are wired to avoid them at all costs. And I'm saying, just pray, okay? Just dag on it, just pray. Talk to God. I think become, the more you become saturated and captivated by who He is, the more you'll pray. Another encouragement, don't make house gathering your catch-up time for praying. Or other times we pray together as a church. Pray now and pray always, because everything ultimately depends upon the Lord's doing. Paul knew this. Ecclesiastes 3.14 says this, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before Him. Think about those words. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. What God does endures forever. And what do we know about that which endures forever? It's that which ultimately matters. 
So if you want to be a part of doing that which ultimately matters, then God's got to be the one doing it. How do we engage in that realm of thinking and living? We study the scriptures and we pray. We pray. Paul understands that he must bow his knee in prayer before the Father. So not only should we not wait to pray till it's all we can do, but we also need to realize that prayer is as necessary as instruction. Prayer is as necessary as instruction. Or if you're like me, you do both at the same time. Uh, I hope you don't mind me telling the story, but I was having a late night time with Robbie and Colin. And Colin was telling me this uh, story about how at his, one of his relatives says, um, you, uh, you reformed guys, when you pray, you always like talk about the whole gospel. Uh, well, that's a funny thing to say, you know. And I'm like, what is he talking about? He goes, well, the, when we were around the circle praying for Colin with the groomsmen and, and I was in there, we prayed with Colin before walking out for the ceremony. And, and I guess when I prayed, like I walked through the whole gospel from like Genesis to Revelation in my prayer, right? <laughs> and then, I don't know if it was one or two people later, Robbie like gave the cliff notes for what I had said. And so like two times gospel in the prayers. And anyways, prayer is as necessary as instruction. I mean, again, this is just as much for my heart as it is anybody's. My observation though is this. Let me make an observation. Here's what I observed. Many people who claim to be people of prayer have tended to not be people of instruction. This is people in our sphere, okay? And the inverse of that. People who claim to be people of instruction tend to not be people of prayer. Both of those are dangerous. Many people spend so much time in prayer wanting God to speak when He has already spoken in His Word. Go listen. But then many of us spend so much time searching the Scriptures to hear God speak, but because we don't pray, we don't have ears to hear and hearts to have God talk to us. So both and praying, instruction. In our church, and, and some of this is just because of Rusty and I, we tend to be so heavy on the instruction side that we forget the prayer side. And so we have seen that in, even in our own church. That we tend to be very heavy on the instruction side. So this is a correction for us as a church, even in my own heart. But it's just as essential for us to pray for ourselves as it is to instruct ourselves. You hear me? It's just as essential for us to pray for ourselves as it is to instruct ourselves. Paul is instructing them lots, but he informs us here that he's also praying for them. You see, we need instruction. We need to read our Bibles, listen to sermons, go to church seminars like uh, the church on how to study your Bible at the end of this month, how to listen correctly to instruction from the Scriptures. There's your plug. Good commentaries, those sorts of things. We can never know too much of God, particularly. 
Paul has spent much of this letter developing doctrine and instructing the Ephesian believers. But imparting knowledge is not enough. We need to pray. Pray that we may be made receptive to the knowledge and instruction. I mean, you realize we can know, no, 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 but not ever actually know, no, 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 no here. It's not enough to just know. We should pray that, that we may harness and, and apply the instruction. We need to pray that the instruction would grip our hearts and bend our wills. You hear me? We should pray that the, that the Scriptures would do that. We need to pray for others. Paul knew that the Ephesians would be reading and studying his instruction. And so he prays that they would understand it and be rooted in deep conviction. That they would know with the height, the breadth, the depth, the love that Christ has for his people. Paul knows that his instruction will never be made real to them except under the direct blessing of God. That God must enlighten the eyes of our understanding, as Paul has already talked about. So we need to pray for ourselves, we need to pray for others, we need to pray for lost people. It's not enough to just befriend someone who needs Christ. It's not enough to just share the gospel with them. Yes, I said it. It's not enough to just impart information to them. We need to pray for them. Their hearts cannot be awakened to the truth of the gospel apart from God's awakening their dead heart. You are not being, you're not living as a faithful missionary if you are not also praying along with your sharing. You say, but God is sovereign, right? And will do whatever He pleases. And what pleases the Lord is to work through the prayers of His people. Okay? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, he says, He divides up the work, and somehow or other, He uses our prayers and brings His great purposes to pass through the means and the instrumentality of the intercession of the saints. He uses our prayers to accomplish His tasks. So we should pray, even as we are doing. And we need both instruction and prayer. And next we need to understand that the posture of our praying matters. The posture of our praying matters. Back to Ephesians 3.14, where we've been at this whole time. It says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Now I don't think that we need to assert here that he was literally on his knees. I don't think that that's super important. But the way in which Paul is praying here is very valuable to us. Here's my point. Some, you could take this passage and go, every time I pray, I need to be in bended knees, right? I don't think the point is the physical posture. I think the point is the heart posture. The posture, the positioning, the, 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 where his heart is settled. Let me tell you how he did not pray, and then we'll come back to how he is praying. He did not pray haphazardly. He did not pray accidentally. And he's not praying manipulatively. 
Let me address these for just a moment. Some of us stumble upon prayer. We just kind of stumble into it. Like, like we haven't talked to God all day, and it, but it's dinner time now and I should pray. Kind of accidentally walk into praying because that's traditionally what we do. Some of us use prayer as a manipulative tool, like I told you. We come to prayer and authority over them. We, we then proceed to use them to what we think or perceive we can do, and that is pressure God into doing what we want Him to do. If I just have enough faith and pray hard enough, this will happen. And some of us, when we pray and how we pray, it's done without much thought or intentionality. We just kind of throw up prayers without thought nor intentionality. We just want something or need something, and so we offer, we offer up a couple words without much thought. God, please do this. Just kind of, it's not happening here. But as we think about this, I, we have to address this. I want us to do this, if you're looking for a sub-point, avoid legalism, but also avoid abuse of freedom. Avoid legalism in our praying, but also avoid abuse of freedom. The temptation would be, I bow my knees, so physically I need to do this kind of thing. That would be legalism, I think. Legalism says, I have to be physically bowed in order to pray, or I have to have my hands folded in order to pray, or I have to have my eyes closed in order to pray. I think of the song, Jesus Take the Wheels, right? You know, I'm supposed to pray without ceasing, and so how do I pray while I'm driving my car? Well, I must close my eyes and... You know, should Jesus take the wheel? I mean, that would be crazy, right? But we do prayer, I mean, you get my point. Or abuse of freedom says, I can approach God however I want because he'll just meet me where I'm at. Yes, he will meet you where you're at. That doesn't give us the license to just flippantly approach God. Listen, many of us struggle. Let Let me help unlock something for some of you. Many of us struggle praying publicly because we're legalistic about our praying. What do I mean? You struggle praying publicly. I'm not saying all of you do, but for some of us, we struggle praying publicly because we think our prayers have to sound a certain way, a certain formality to them. Some of us struggle praying privately because we think we can just approach God however we want. Guys, casualty is not acceptable when approaching the throne of grace. That's the thing I want you to walk away with these few words here at this point. Is casualty is not acceptable when approaching the throne of grace. We should not walk around and casually throw prayers God's way. God is not a genie in a bottle for you to claim His name and get what you want. Do we pray in a way that's unworthy of God? Again, listen, I'm not talking about do you bow your head? Do you place your hand on your brother or sister when you pray? Or do you anoint them with oil? Or do you, you hold hands when you sit down to eat dinner? I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about what's the posture of your heart? Could you, driving down the road, be thinking about something for work or thinking about what you got to get done when you get home? And then be led by the Spirit to pray. And you, Father, when I get home, just help clear my mind so that I can serve my family. Yes, 
you can have a short prayer. I'm not talking about the length of your prayers. I'm talking about what was the posture of your heart in that moment. Or was it just, God help me when I go home so I don't, you know, kill my kids. Like, what was the posture of your heart? Our posture should be that of reverence. I'm going to move quickly through these last few. Our posture should be that of reverence. Bowing the knees is an indication of reverence. Hebrews 12, 28-29, Rusty read over the past few weeks. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. I mean, I, I get it. The pictures of Jesus, nice, cute, white, Caucasian Jesus, has like scarred us, right? In some ways. Because we have this nice little all fluffy... Uh, look, God is a consuming fire as well as the nice tender going to the cross Jesus that we know as well. Reverence. We walk with reverence. We pray with reverence. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence, right? By faith, by the faith of Him. We must always, that idea of, of access with boldness and confidence must always be coupled with, I bow my knees. You get that? Boldness and confidence to access God. To talk to Him. Always coupled with, Bended knees, a heart posture of reverence and humility. Confidence does not mean an easy familiarity, and boldness does not mean presumption. Our posture should be that of worship. You see, you bow your knees to the one who is worthy of worship. That's what Paul's doing here. I bow my knees because he's worthy of of worship. Many of us don't pray to God because we don't worship God. We're too captivated by the glory of His creation, i.e. ourselves, instead of the glory of the Creator Himself. We don't pray because we don't worship God. Or we do what seems like prayer, but it's really not, if we're not actually worshiping God. We should worship God in our prayers. I think that's what Paul's, going, what Paul's doing here, is worshiping God in His praying. We should talk about, listen, if you want to write down a few things, here's some good things. We should talk about His majesty in prayer. We should talk about His greatness in prayer. We should talk about His preeminence in praying. We should talk about His justice. We should talk about His mercy. We should talk about these things when we pray. Why? Because it leads our heart to worship that one who is the only one worthy of worship. You want to pray? Worship God when you talk to Him. Going down the road, sitting in front of your Bible, sitting here singing, standing here singing, listening to me, worship God. If you want to pray, worship Him. Learn how to worship God. Ask Him to teach you to worship Him. Paul knew who he was approaching, and this dictated how he approached Him. We don't walk with boldness as in our chest puffed with arrogance. We walk in knowing whose blood we came in through. We should always be humbly aware of our great 
privilege to talk to God. We never proceed to requests until we have first genuinely praised and thanked God. We just need to recognize for at least a moment who you are speaking to before you even begin to make requests. The Bible certainly says, make a request known to God. Ask, seek, not these things. Yes, absolutely. Just don't forget who you are talking to. And I don't know about you, but one of the ways I train my heart to recognize who I'm talking to is by talking about it. Reminding myself. I mean, as I'm praying, worshiping God, if in anything, as I'm speaking these truths about God, I'm training my heart to sing His praise, to have the right posture. So how do we grow in worshipful praying to God? By instructing the heart with God's words. The instruction piece. You want a heart that worships God? Let the words of the one being worshipped dictate how you worship and why you worship Him. I'm afraid that many of us, or some of us, just worship God simply because He did a few cool things in our lives. That's not going to get you very far. Worship God, be, worship God because of who He has revealed Himself to be. And He has shown us that and done that in His Word. So our posture, though, let me give you this last thing before we move to the final point here. Our posture, listen to this, brings us face to face with God. So what do you mean? Where do you see that at? Look at the word here, back in 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth So this idea of before the Father, unto the Father, is really what's happening here. I bow my knees in prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees unto the Father. I, I am here before the Father. What's happening here, like this phrasing, the word used there literally means face to face. Face to face. Paul is saying that he bows his knees in order to come face to face with God. Guys, the moment we realize that prayer means coming face to face with God, I don't know how we could but not bend our knees. Right? Why would we not pray? I mean, these are things I'm asking myself this past couple weeks. Why would I not pray if in praying, I can come face to face with God. If we had but a glimpse of God, we would tremble at being face to face with Him. The last thought for today is this. Know that you are praying to God who is our Father. The idea of God as our Father is such a missing concept in modern Christianity today. Ephesians 3, 14-15, right? For this reason I bow my knees before the 
Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Real quick, because I want to address verse 15 here very, very briefly. I think it ties to the word Father. Don't think that Paul here is referring to God as the Father of all humans. In a sense, yes, all humans do bear the image of God. But I don't think Paul here is giving a theology of how all of them come from God. I think Paul is referring back to chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. Let's read that. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit, so us Jews and Gentiles have access in one Spirit to the, what? The Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are, what? Fellow citizens with the saints and, what's he say here? Members of the household of God. You are what? You are family. You are in God's family. So you know, so he is your father, and you are now part of his family. So in Ephesians 3.14, where we were just at, see father and see family. Paul is saying, I believe here, that God is the father of the family. Now what family? Back to chapter 2, the family of the redeemed, both Jews and Gentiles, us. We are part of the family, and He is our Father. And Paul is saying here, I bow to the Father of our family. The family that you Gentiles are now a part of. That's what Paul is saying here. Let me encourage you with what might be perceived as some tough words here for just a few moments. Some of us have no clue what it means to have God as our Father. Some of us have no clue what it means to have God as our Father. How do you know? How do I know this? How do I see this? Let me give you some examples. Because your fatherhood looks nothing like the fatherhood of God, or very little. Or there's no growth in looking like the fatherhood of God. So men, does your fatherhood look like the fatherhood of God? Or maybe because you interact with your father in a way that looks nothing like how one should interact with Father God. We interact with, if we understand fatherhood and how that ties to the fatherhood of God. and Or maybe because how much of the ladies try to take over the role of the father in the household. Or maybe because how much of us men let our wives fulfill the role of father and leader of the household. Those are all indictment and, and indicators that we don't understand the fatherhood of God. Or maybe because of the way you pray as if God is some disconnected, ambivalent, disinterested deity waiting to say no or smite you. Do you actually pray to Him as if He is your Father, the One? Who's your dad that loves you? How do you, how do you understand, how do you live out fatherhood? Do you understand the fatherhood of God? How can you know the fatherhood of God? Study the scriptures. You can know what it means to the fatherhood of God. 
I don't have time to tease it out this morning, but, but I want to encourage you with this. We belong to this family. Church, hear these words. We belong to this family, and He is our Father. Again, I know some of us have messed up views of what fatherhood is. Yes, because our fathers maybe not been perfect. But God has revealed Himself to us through His Scriptures. We can know the fatherhood of God through His Scriptures. And I'm telling you, church, we pray. When we pray, we must understand that we are praying to our Father. Another implication of this is that we are to live in the world as one who bears the name of this Father. We bear the family name. We live as ones who represent the Father. This changes absolutely everything. You see, Jesus the Son lives in perfect relationship with the Father, and through His blood we too can now call Him Father. And this Father is, through instructing and prayer, teaching us how to represent the family well. Teaching us how to live with Him as our Father. I'm thankful that the scriptures reveal to us that God is our Father. That He's not just some deity. And, and even though He'd still be worthy of worship. But He has chosen to say, I'm your dad. I'm your father. You're my children. God, listen to me. I know our world, well, we're all just a bunch of children of God. And that's not the case. Those who have been redeemed are children of God. Otherwise, that doesn't mean anything. We are children of God. And our job then is to help bring other children to the Father. I pray that God opens our hearts to see the great privilege we have to call upon our Father in holy prayer. So here's how to pray. Here's your formula. You won't be able to write it down. Yeah, you won't be able to write quick enough. Don't wait to pray till it's all you got. Pray. Understand, it's just as important as instruction. The posture of your heart matters. Worship Him in humbleness and reverence. You want to pray more? Worship more. Know God more. Talk to Him. There's not a secret formula. Lastly, realize He's your Father. Submit to His Lordship and pray to Him like He's your dad. You know, I pray that in this new year that you will see that everything of eternal value must be done by God. Must be done by God. What's your family learning and loving God, as Rusty talked about last week to you men? You need to pray for your family. You need to pray for yourself. Wives, you want husbands that, that lead and, and care for your family as fathers underneath the fatherhood of God? You need to pray for Him. You need to pray for Him a lot. Trust me. <laughs> you want to see our church grow in, in the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God and see our church be built into this household as a dwelling place for God. Like you want to see, you need to pray. You need to pray. You need to pray for me. You need to pray for Rusty. You need to pray for our other leaders. You need to pray for our people and each other and bear each other's burdens in that way. You need to pray. 
And I pray that you would see that everything of eternal value must be done by God. And that faithful obedience is not just studying the scriptures. It's also praying as well. Prayer. Pray. Pray with a heart of humility and reverence. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will sing one last song in reflection, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, Father, I'm only able to call you Father because of your perfectly obedient Son, Jesus. And through Him, I have become a child of the Father. You have adopted me. And the price paid for my adoption was the blood of your son, Jesus. And so, Father, I love you. I did not know that you were a rich man. But I knew, and I know that you love me. Father, as we think about this year, as we think about singing these next few moments, as we, as we think about moving forward, Father, let us, let us pray. Lead our hearts to prayer. And if that means bringing us to the end of our ropes, where we must throw up our hands in prayer, saying, I cannot do this. And so be it. And Father, I understand the weightiness of what I just said. But make us a praying people. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.